0: Please turn with me now in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter twenty, the very last couple of verses. Luke chapter twenty, verse forty-five, and then we'll carry on to verse twenty uh, to chapter twenty-one. So Luke twenty, verse forty-five. Then, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these, out of their abundance, have put in offerings for God, but she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is pure. Your word is holy, and it shares all of the attributes of the living God. Indeed, it is incomprehensible in the sense, Lord, that we'll never wrap our arms fully around every aspect of it. There will always be things that we do not see, aspects that we miss. But, Heavenly Father, it is truly to be also, it is clear, it is known, it is clear enough that we might receive the things that you have for us in it, We pray, Lord, that you'd make them clear. In your justice and in your mercy, we pray, Heavenly Father, that your word would be displayed before us and that we would receive it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 We come this morning to Luke chapter 21. And the first thing we come to in this chapter is the story of the widow's might in verses 1 to 4. But the context for that is a bit of chapter 20 that we did not get to and we did not preach on, which was the last two verses, which read, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feast, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation of course it's a statement god is not fooled by the hypocrisy of man he knows all and will surely deal in justice with those who secretly defraud others while making a show of godliness but in the context of this of the the gospel of luke and in the uh, inspiration of the holy spirit the very next thing that happens is that the Lord brings our attention to a widow, the very one that these people were taking advantage of, a powerless person, who had, a woman who has lost her husband, taking advantage of them financially. Now we have an example given to us of what generosity looks like, and it is a widow, an amazing thing. Now we know the Lord commends her, proclaiming that she had given more than all the rich men who had given their great large sums. They apparently loved to hold them up like this, gold coin by gold coin or silver coin by silver coin. So not everyone could see and also hear the coins clinking in their great weight, uh, showing off the wealth that was put in there. And she comes with her two mites, little copper coins that don't make a big sound but a tiny sound now as i say the lord commends her they'd given but a small portion of their wealth and she had given all that she had we know this much let's step back just for a moment and ask the question why would christ commend her in the first place what is so worthy what is so wonderful that that christ would commend her because if we're like that person in the parable that we, we read in chapter 20, we're, we think that the Lord is a hard man. We, we think that he is extracting blood from a stone. And we wouldn't imagine that he would ever commend the, the widow. Surely he would commend the rich for being shrewd enough to, to get rich and, and, and holding on to their money and only putting in a, a little a little trifle In order to satisfy the people around them, surely he would commend them if he was, in fact, that God who's a hard man. But, of course, that's not the real God. That's an idol of the imagination of miserly mankind. They imagine a miserly God in their image. The real God is not like that. We have not found him to be that way. We know that he is generous. And the reason why Christ would commend this widow's generosity is because he himself is generous. You only commend those actions that you yourself approve of, that are in accordance with your own character, that either you have done, or you would do in similar circumstances, or you wish that you would do in similar circumstances. The Lord is commending her amazing, open-handed, sacrificial giving, because that is exactly who he is. The Lord Jesus Christ is himself the paragon of generosity. The Lord God is the paragon of generosity. And Christ is the image of that invisible God. And he displays for us that perfect, wonderful generosity. Now let me say, I, I, what is the point of this sermon to you? Let me tell it to you from the very beginning. I want you to be generous. I want this church to be generous. Generous. Reformed Christians have not always had the best of reputations on this point. At some point, we, it seems like we take on board everything in the Proverbs, and we're, very, we're shrewd at, at making money and of, of upholding that money and making that, getting interest from that money, but we're not very good at giving that money. I want us to be good at both sides of that equation. I don't want us to cede that ground to the charismatics or to the health and wealth gospel people. I want us to be known as loving and generous. Let us consider well, then, the paragon of generosity, who is our Lord, first and foremost. So the title this morning is The Paragon of Generosity. Three points. False generosity, real generosity, and God's generosity. The paragon of generosity, three points. False generosity, real generosity, God's generosity. We begin first with a false generosity found in verse 1. Then he looked up and saw the rich putting in their gifts into the treasury. Now to get some hint of what's going on, let me remind you of the context again in the last verses of the previous chapter. Beware of the scribes. These are the ones that were commending him. You've spoken well, Lord. Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, all this priority, all this honor from men, the best places of feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. They wanted to be held in high esteem by those people who are like them. And those sort of people don't care whether you take care of widows or not. What they care about is that you yourself are rich and that you make a big show of giving, uh, in this case to the temple or to other su- such things, to be seen by men to do these things or what count. And so with those kind of priorities, they went about defrauding the powerless in order to make themselves rich and, yes, To make ostentatious gifts on occasion when people were watching to the temple. Matthew 6 says this. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. The problem is not giving the gift. He wants you to give the gift. The problem is you're doing it to be seen by men. And if you do that, he says, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in their synagogues in the streets. This is exactly who he's speaking of here in in Luke chapter 20. These hypocrites, the very ones that had commended him for speaking well, but refused to believe in him, and did not actually carry out the law in all of its truth and consequences, not at all. These hypocrites... That they may have glory from men because that's what they were doing. They wanted to have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. That's exactly what they wanted, and that is exactly what they get. Glory from men, certainly not from God. They're going to receive judgment and condemnation from God for their hypocrisy. And he says rather to us that when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. Your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now, maybe we'll speak of that later in the terms of application. But I, I want you to understand, as he is describing the hypocrites, he's describing the conditions of his day before the gospel came. More than likely, they were doing this. Uh, these particular people that he saw, the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, more than likely, they were in that category. More than likely, they were doing this to have glory from men. So that's one problem with their generosity. That's why it's false generosity. But even more so, and mainly in this particular verse, in this context, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. You see, the generosity is false not only because we, we suspect that they were doing it to have glory from men rather than from God, but mainly that they had a great abundance by which they were giving their gifts. They were rich. And although their offerings seemed to the man on the street to be very substantial, compared to what they actually had, it wasn't all that much. Because they could have given ten times. They could have given a hundred times. They probably could have given a thousand, maybe even ten thousand times as much as what they were giving. And in that, it doesn't actually seem like much, at least not to God. If you have on this table... 10,000 gold coins, and you put one into the coffer, in God's estimation, that isn't actually giving all that terribly much. It was a show of generosity, but it was false generosity in the estimation of God. Reminder of Luke 18.22, that's not so far in the past, but just a reminder that when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. This is the rich young ruler. What is the one thing that he lacks? Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful because he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he'd become very sorrowful, he said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it? Giving everything that they have? Giving all? No way. They're clinging on to it with everything they've got. They couldn't possibly imagine life apart from their riches. It is an idol to them. It has their heart. They serve it. They protect it. They worship it. They can't let that go. And we are waiting, actually, in this gospel. Even as we encountered the tax collector... He only gave half of his goods we are waiting up until this point to find anyone who's actually willing to give all their goods we finally encounter it in this widow right anyways all this to say that this generosity was not a true generosity it was a a false generosity but secondly let's consider then the real generosity in verse 2 and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. Now, as I said, two mites—it's not much. These are little tiny copper coins, pennies. How much is a penny worth? It's not much, is it? And what is the widow's situation? That's that's the other part, right? How can we judge a generosity? We've already said it's not by the absolute amount of the individual gift. It is the proportion, the percentage of how much that person has available to give. And the the rich people weren't actually giving much. Now, the poor widow with those two mites, how much was she giving? What is her situation? Well, she is not rich, certainly not. And as a widow, she's not in a position of earning Right? There are poor people who at least have health and youth, young men who are able to work. And they have that capacity. So they might not have anything, but at least they have that capacity to earn. Well, that's not the widow's situation. She's in a situation of poverty and perpetual uncertainty, not knowing where her next meal is going to come from. And it would seem, at least to me, in my wisdom, maybe in your wisdom, that she ought to hang on to everything that she has. Because her very life depends on it. Even more than those rich people hang on to their their money. She should surely hang on to her last two mites. But what does she do? She gives them. In verse 4, she out of her poverty puts in all the livelihood that she has. Beyond life. All of her livelihood from the word life. That which gives life. Because money buys food and food buys life. And she had given her life in this gift. Well, this, my friends, is what real generosity looks like. This is what generosity looks like. Not the ostentatious gifts of the rich. And let me say in our day, it's the same thing. There are trumpets being sounded when billionaires give of their money. Uh, I, I remember not so long ago, Bill Gates gave a million dollars to a school or something like that, and there was a trumpet sounded, and there were, there were uh, articles written about it, and it made the, the news and all the rest of it a million dollars. That is nothing. That is like one of us giving one pound fifty. Uh, that, that's the same sort of comparison of our total wealth as what Bill Gates giving one billion dollars would be. This is generosity. Now, we can look for ways to diminish your actions if you want. Maybe you're tempted to do so. Maybe you think, I don't know if that widow is really so generous. You can diminish her actions. There were provisions, for instance, you would say, in the Old Testament for widows. Deuteronomy 26.12. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house and also has, has given them, have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandment, nor have I forgotten them. Yes, there were provisions many provisions there were commandments of god that the people of israel and the authorities those who were in charge of the nation would provide for the widows of the land so you're right there indeed the word widow occurs 93 times in the old testament because god is constantly hammering home how important it is to take care of widows so in all likelihood and you would probably point it out to me she didn't earn those two mites Somebody probably put those two mites into her hand. They weren't really hers in the first place. And therefore, what do we think about her generosity? Well, I would say you're probably right. I would say that she had actually probably gotten used to being given to. And it was out of that expectation that the Lord would provide for her that she then was willing to put in those two mites. And you make your own evaluation, but in a moment we're going to see what the Lord's evaluation of that is. But that's not the only thing we could do to diminish her generosity. We could also say that she was terribly unwise. She's giving all of her substance, her beyond her life, that would seem to us to be an unwise move. And in fact, if some widow in our midst proposed to do such a thing, we would probably stop her. And we, as we come to this place, as the Lord is looking and evaluating people as they're giving into the treasury, actually maybe we're saying we're expecting the Lord to go and stop her before she puts in those two mites. It would be very unwise for her to do that. Well, this is where we come to our third point. We've considered what false generosity looks like. We've considered what real generosity looks like. And third, we need to consider the generosity of God. Because the Lord has an evaluation that he gives of these things, and it's not the evaluation that you or I might have had of it. Either by looks and seeing it's not much, just two copper coins. Or by, well, she probably didn't even earn those two copper coins, she was given to it. Or that it was unwise for her to use those two copper coins, because that was all the substance she had, all the livelihood he gives a slightly different evaluation of those things. In verse 3 he says truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For these all these out of their abundance have put in offerings to God but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she has. He's not concealing that fact. He's not saying in, in spite of the fact of how unwise she is, she, that's the very thing, that's the very circumstance that he's pointing to, to say this is what generosity looks like. She has given more than all of these put together. He gives an unqualified endorsement to something we would consider terribly unwise. He doesn't notice if it is, if it's not something that she's earned. He doesn't seem to care. The point is that it's in her hands to give. That's the only thing that matters to him. And he gives a generous evaluation. You know why? Because he's a generous God. He's a generous God. And this is his heart being expressed. As he makes his evaluation on this woman's actions, it's not one of miserly, scrounging sort of evaluation of what is wise or unwise. The generous God, the generous image of of the living and invisible God evaluates her heart and says that she has given more than all the rest of these. It pleases him. It suits him. Because he himself is the paragon of generosity. Now, let me say, we move very quickly to look at the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we have to. Preaching is about setting forth the, the, the Lord Jesus. It says here in the back, sir, we would see Jesus. And when he makes this evaluation, when those words come from his lips and says, I proclaim this action to be good. I proclaim it to be laudable and exemplary. This is what generosity looks like. This is pleasing to me. It is because he is no hypocrite. He, is, he has railed upon the hypocrites in their lives. But, my friends, he is not commending something that he himself would be unwilling to do. He did that and more. Let me say, the Lord Jesus did not have much in this life. He lived in poverty, not because he could not have been rich, but rather that he laid all those things aside in order to come down into this sin-cursed world in order to make us rich. We say he didn't just give his beyond his life in the sense of his livelihood. He actually gave his life in terms of his body to be broken, and his blood to be shed. Friends, it's sitting. It's it's been set out here at the Lord's table. Who who brought us spiritually? This this blood. It's it's not of our making. This body that is broken. We did not exact that from anyone. The Lord Jesus gave freely. He laid down his life in order that we might live. Saul in Philippians chapter 2. The heart of salvation is found in the generosity of God. Okay? There is no salvation apart from it. If you want justice, well, justice is to be found in the day of judgment when he will extract judgment from sinners and cast them into hell forever. But if you want salvation, it, it, it resides, it originates from the, the generous heart of God. From the second person of the Godhead who laid down all of his, his glorious accoutrements and privilege that was his by right. It was not even a thing to be grasped to be God because he was the eternal son of God. He laid those things aside in order that he might serve and give his life a ransom for many. To lay down his life in order in his poverty that we might be made rich. He's a generous God. Who being in the form, this is Philippians 2 verse 6 who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Friends, what did the Lord Jesus have that he didn't give? He gave it all. He, he, he died penniless. The, the, th- the only thing he had was the robe that he was wearing. And even that was divided among the soldiers. But by far the most important thing that he had, and even more so than any of us, as the God-man, was his own life. And he willingly gave that livelihood, that life, in order that we might be made rich. Friends, this is the generosity of God. He is the paragon of generosity. And when he commends the widow's generosity, he's no hypocrite. He's only pointing to actions that were in accordance with the reality of his own heart and his own actions and his own example. And what are the applications of these things? What do we say? Well, I would say, first of all, that we should freely receive. All right? Verse that I'm not haven't quoted recently, haven't looked at recently, 1 Corinthians 2:12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Let me say that again, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And the things that he's speaking of is his own spirit. The, the things that he's speaking to is forgiveness of sins that is to be found in Christ. The things include eternal life, include adoption as sons, Includes sanctification and glorification and everything else that are to be found in the benefits of Christ now and forevermore. These are the things that we have freely been given, freely received from God. Let me say again that the gospel is a gift, right? Receive it. The rich young ruler couldn't bring himself to receive the gift because that's not the way he thought the world worked. He thought that you have to, that if you don't earn something, then you can't have it. And if someone is offering something to you that you haven't earned, then you shouldn't take it. Well, you know, in terms of things in this world, there's an element of truth to that, okay? In fact, the Word of God says, if a man does not work, he should not eat. But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to the gospel We have to get in in the mindset of receiving something. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you have been resisting the word of God, resisting the gospel. As it says to you, you can't earn a single bit of it. Not before, not after. None of it is, is earned at all. My prayer is that you this day understand that the gospel of salvation is a gift. You do not earn it by being good enough for it because you're not good enough for it. You receive it as a gift from a generous God, and you rejoice in it, and you glory in it. This wonderful gift that God has given. Freely receive. Let me say, Christians need to get used to receiving. Right? We cannot ever have the mindset of the, of the rich... Like that rich young ruler or any of these others who imagine that everything they have is because they have earned it fair and square, and that includes their own salvation. Certainly not. Certainly not. All right? You didn't earn your salvation. You didn't earn the giftings that God has given to you. You have received it all. What do we have that we have not received, the Bible asks. And the answer is, in the long, in the long run, in the, the, the grand scheme of things, Nothing. We have received it as unworthy sinners from a generous God. Freely receive. Secondly, freely give. Okay? So if we have to get used to receiving, because the most important thing that any of us have ever gotten is surely the gospel, surely forgiveness, surely eternal life, and that is purely a gift. And actually, although, yes, if we have strength to earn, we must surely do so. But even that health itself is a gift of God. And we we give every time we we eat, we give thanks to God. And, you know, the TV will make fun of it and say, well, you know, God didn't go down to the store and buy it. But we know differently. We know that, in fact, at the end of that long chain of events that has brought us the food or whatever it is that we have is God. And he is a generous God. We give thanks to him. We freely receive. And we must get used to freely giving. Okay? Freely give. Matthew 10, 7, 8. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. It's a simple equation, isn't it? Now, if you haven't received freely, if you're that one person here who has actually earned your salvation, then please feel free to be a miser. Feel free. But if you're like me, an unworthy, wretched sinner whom the Lord God has saved in his credible generosity and has given every good gift, then we must, even despite ourselves, despite the old man in us that says, hang on to every might you've got, get used to freely giving. Now, of course, I mean in terms of tithes and offerings. That is the specific example that is being spoken of. The Lord, in all this, never says, just stop giving. He doesn't say to the hypocrites, I wish you would stop giving. He says, I just I wish you'd give in accordance with the true wealth that you have. And I wish that you give out of a purity of motive rather than to be seen by men. But yes, give tithes and offerings. And yes, to poor brethren in need, Absolutely. We also have this mandate, and I would say particularly also to widows. The fatherless, the widows, those things, those those demands of the word of God do not go away. If anything, they are more important in their fullness to us. And let me say that Jesus took every opportunity to commend generosity when he observed it. But mainly, let me say, above all and something that overarches everything and that all these specifics come from, it is a generosity of spirits. Okay? As I say, the miser says, this is mine because I have a particular and irrefutable right to it. I deserve this. No one else deserves to share in any part of it. So it doesn't matter what their situation is, whether it's God or man, they don't deserve really any part of it. Well, God has established private property. We're not communists, as I say. If a man does not does not work, he should not eat. So we're not saying that. But what we're saying is, in spiritual terms, God has given us everything. And the the Christian says, not, I have an inherent right to this, but rather whatever I have, whether talent, education, health, opportunities, family background, whatever it is that has resulted in you having something. To, It is a gift, and the heart of the Christian says, "I don't deserve it." Rather than actually, I deserve it. I have a proprietary right, an inalienable right, to everything that I have. Actually, I don't deserve any part of it. Most importantly, not eternal life for the simple act of believing in Christ. Is that actually fair wages? Did you? Did it really? Is your faith worth so much that you should receive everlasting life in heaven? the living God as you become his child. No. It's a gift of God. And the Christian says, freely I've received, freely I will give. Right? As I say, in terms of tithes and offerings, in terms of brethren in need, 1 John 3, 17, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, because that's what happens. God makes sure that our hearts have an inclination to give, And the sad thing is, when we we seek to shut down our heart, that's the thing, whoever shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? For some, generosity comes naturally. I think, again, for every born-again believer, there will be that inclination. There will also be a temptation to shut up the heart. For some, it comes a little bit more naturally. For some, this is a grace that needs to be cultivated, but it is an expectation and a template for all of us. God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. God says, be ye generous, for I am generous. And we do that individually. We do that corporately as as a church. I don't know if I've said this out out loud, but one of my great prayers and and priorities for this church is that we, we are, in fact, and perhaps... Uh, indirectly, not by intention, but it, that we're, we're known to be a generous church. Right now, if I were to, to ask, you know, I, I, you probably you know about our American partnering churches that have given over the years. Um, any guesses as to how much they've given? You know, have they given their two mites, or, or what have they given? 10,000 pounds, 50,000 pounds, 100,000 pounds. At the very least, 500,000 pounds over these nine years. 500,000 pounds. My friends, we have freely received from the generosity of others, of all churches on the face of this planet, we should be the most generous because we have been we are we stand as an example of those who have freely received and we ought to freely give fourthly and finally let me say that we should remember who is watching who is watching isn't it interesting that the lord jesus in all of his it's not like he had nothing better to do than to observe those coming and going into the temp- the, the treasury, giving their, their money. He had a lot on his plate, but there he was observing. Do you think he's observing us any less now? Not only is he observing, he's evaluating. He is watching the rich, and he is watching the poor. And he sees their giving, and he evaluates it, whether it is a good thing or not so good thing problem is not that they were doing something with the idea that somebody might be watching them because somebody is watching them. The problem is who they cared about. They were doing it to be observed by men, and that's wrong. It shouldn't happen. But we should absolutely give knowing that God is watching. He says that very explicitly in the, in the Beatitudes, doesn't he? In the Sermon on the Mount, he says what you do secretly the Lord will reward you openly for. There's no shame in that. God says to do that. Remember that God is continually observing and evaluating our actions and the circumstances that surround them. And Jesus pronouncing judgment on those two parties, the rich in their hypocrisy and show and the poor widow in her two mites, that evaluation is a foretaste of what is happening, going to happen on judgment day that same Lord comes as a judge and he will evaluate the secrets and intents, the hearts of men, and all will be made plain. And that day is coming. And friends, we should remember, therefore, who is watching. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we bless your holy name and all the good things that you have granted to us. But supremely, Lord, that you yourself, we know you to be a generous God. You are the paragon, the epitome of generosity. Lord, you have given to those who do not deserve in the slightest. You've given rather to those who demerit even your slightest attention, even to those who shared in the murder of the Lord Jesus Christ, you offered and gave them eternal life. But Lord, truly, this is the gospel. This is the good news. It gets better and better and better as we realize all of its entailments and implications. Heavenly Father, we pray that each one here, man, woman, and child, would receive this generous gift of salvation. And that, Lord, all those who have received this generous gift, that you would enable us in likeness to Christ to freely give and to become more and more, both individually and corporately, generous. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.